Welcome to the future of NFTs, brought to you by Adlunum, the first engaged to earn proof of attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder Natya Bester, we bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey, Web3 World, this is Natya Bester from Adlunum, and you are listening to The Future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases to non-fungible token technology is evolving into all of this as seen through the eyes and built by the minds of the fascinating guests that we speak to each week. Adlunum is building the industry's first IDEO launchpad with a proof of attention allocation mechanism. And the reason that we deep dive into the world of NFTs each week is because as an investment platform, we are contributing to the future of NFTs through our Engage to Earn model, which is powered by dynamic NFT investor profiles. Investors in IDEO sales are able to leverage their proof of attention scores to receive allocation and share their allocation through fractionalized NFTs. Now, today we have on the agenda a very complex topic that hopefully we are going to demystify over the course of the hour. So with me in the room today is Dr. Virushan Naika, the CEO and co-founder of Plural Finance. A little bit more about him. So Virishan has a background that spans finance, economics, maths, and applied maths. And if you look at the technical white paper, you can definitely see this. It, as it says on the can, very technical. So since 2016, Virishan has worked in Web3 as a token engineer, consulting with various startups ranging from ReFi, DeFi, NFTs. He has a PhD in networks, hence uh, the doctor and has built foundational models connecting networks, tokens, and payment systems. So he is here today, as I said, as the co-founder and CEO of Plural Finance. Plural Finance is a Web3 insurance company focused on providing coverage for digital assets. They are building the next generation of insurance on-chain, audible, traceable, and transparent and the reason that he's here to talk about to talk with us today is because of the NFT integration that they are um, using on the platform. So there's a lot to cover in today's show. Uh, and Virishan, well, first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for accepting the the invitation to speak with us today. Very excited to hear. Uh, well, first of all, what you guys are building in plural, but also just your more gen general uh, sense of this convergence of insurance and Web three. Uh, you know, using NFTs as a medium, which is even more interesting. Um, and then I would also love to hear from you, you know, just how the average listener out there can make sense of, um, of the topics that we are talking about, because it is highly complex. I think even though a lot of people work with insurance, they don't necessarily have the nuanced understanding uh, that someone does who uh, is a lot more professionally involved. So, yeah, very happy to have you on the show today. Welcome. Uh, yeah, over to you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's the it's the fourth of July. It's a it's a good day to be talking about NFTs and the future and how we how we build a sort of a new financial system with the pieces of blockchain and with what we know, um, which was always my starting point for getting into Web three. Um, I think like finance is very expensive, and so we have to find ways to build alternative means of finance that can be more inclusive and equitable. 
Um, so I can tell you a little bit about the history of Plural and then a little bit about what we're doing uh, in terms of trying to bridge the gap between conventional insurance, uh, which is very structured and regulated, and uh, insurance in Web3, which is a complete new frontier that we think like nobody quite has got right. Uh, and we're hoping to be amongst the first to to get this uh, get this right and make Web three resilient and safe. So um, my background is obviously very technical, and I was working as a consultant. Um, and about ten months ago, through a, a random interaction, a Founders Factory in London approached me to pitch for an in house startup that they were building. So they have a venture studio, and within that venture studio they build out 16 complete startups per year and then spin these startups out as businesses and look for a second round of funding. So so we started in the Founders Factory Venture Studio trying to figure out what insurance should look like on Web3 and where does one start. Um, we interviewed a lot of people and eventually landed on, like most people, um, an NFT is, you buy an NFT because it's an ex extension of your identity because you like it and it represents you digitally um, and losing your NFT because of a wallet train or because you clicked on, a, on an incorrect link is really painful. So we wanted to figure out like how do we solve this pain point for the consumer uh, in Web3 and how do we make the experience as a whole um, not as painful. Um, so, so that was our starting point. And to get to to do insurance, uh, even for something as simple as saying we'll cover you for eighty percent of your NFT if you lose it, um, is a is very technical and very complicated because insurance is the process of risk transfer. So you have one group of people we call them insurance takers who want to transfer their risk to another group of people. Uh, who we call on our website insurance makers. And risk is something that's quite intangible. I mean, how do you measure risk? It's not something that is a, a good that is easy to price. And the the whole uh, like shebang that comes with insurance, you know, actuarial science and um, underwriting management and um, sort of complicated risk calculations as well as regulations, all about the pricing of risk and the transfer of risk between parties. So um, the the question is like, how do you make something that's intangible tangible? Um, well, the, the the straightforward answer is like you have to do a lot of math, and you have to model out how people will behave in certain situations, and just find ways to ensure that they behave. Um, in accordance to the agreements that are set up. So in traditional insurance, you have regulators that regulate the insurance industry to make sure the insurer behaves how it's supposed to behave because insurers hold a lot of power because they also they hold the money and they decide on claims. Um, and our goal in setting up Plural was to build uh, almost like an autonomous independent system with a balance between um, people buying policies, people holding resources, and people validating claims. Um, so that's that's really what we we describe in our technical white paper, and and then to to focus in on how to 
um, address the situation in a Web3 way. So we, we build all this infrastructure on blockchain and we use the transparency of blockchain to make insurance very auditable and precise. So um, anybody can see where their claim is in a claims process. Um, they can see that funds have been reserved in order to pay that claim. Um, and there is a kind of concord between different sides of a multi-sided marketplace um, with respect to the insurance product being provided by the system and the process that the system is engaging with in order to manage policyholder expectations, um, underwriting expectations and claims. Okay, so I, I've probably lost a lot of people with that answer, but I, I can... Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go to another question if there's um, or if there's anything that I've said that you want me to like reflect back on. I'm happy to do that, do that too. Um, yeah, actually, you you answered uh, a number of different of my questions in one question. So you definitely are extremely thorough. I, I love that. Uh, so you've given us a lot to dive into. Um, I think that you've touched on so many different points that I really want to, you know, spend a little bit more time on. So I'm going to go into some of the some of the ones that kind of came to mind for me first, as you as you were sharing. Um, you talk you you mentioned resilience, um, and you also mentioned this on your website. Um, so as I listen to the offering that you guys are building for Web three industry. It really reminds me of almost this growth cleansing because um, I think for many people, uh, you know, everyday people out in the world or whether, you know, whatever, whatever level of society that you function at, as soon as you start engaging with insurance, um, it does add a different dimension to your life, whether that is, you know, the security, the, the sense of security you have or whether it's the sense that, you know, you're overpaying for your premium or whatever the case may be, but insurance plays a, a, a tangible role in one's life in terms of um, how the world works and what your place is in it, if, if we can look at it a bit more philosophically. But I think another aspect of insurance that very often uh, people associate with is it's very opaque. Um, you know, you pay a premium every month and at the same time when you need it, there's a lot of terms and conditions that you might not ne necessarily understand or have been aware of. So it sounds as though, if, if, if I go back to this term of the great cleansing, that as we move into new technologies in Web3, which is, of course, underlying many of the, of the changes within society, if you move on to the blockchain, for example, um, it sounds like you guys are cleaning up uh, the insurance industry, so to speak, with this offering. Um, so I want to get back to this word you used about resilience. How do you see this word in terms of Web3 as we move out of that sort of legacy systems, the financial legacy system, the Web3 technology legacy system? How do you see Web3 playing a role um, in terms of kind of moving people along toward a more transparent uh, approach that, as you said, as a system you are building that is autonomous and independent, to how, how do we move society, I guess, into these roles? Uh, what, how, what role does resilience play uh, in, this, in this scenario? Um, 
So, so the side story was that uh, last year before Plural came along, I was really focused on becoming more resilient. So I started doing things like like intensive workouts and ice baths and breathwork workshops. So it was really funny that um, insurance would would land uh, on my plate as a as a project while I was thinking about resilience. Uh, that's part of why resilience is kind of woven into our DNA as a business. Um, then the other, like, to, to zone in specifically on society and insurance, um, insurance is something that helps you recover when you've experienced volatility. So if you, if you don't have insurance then you're self-insuring in case something volatile happens. So say you get in a car accident um, and, and you don't have insurance, then what you're doing is you're relying on your own capacity to uh, recover from a loss. Now, if you do have insurance, what you're relying on is the capacity of um, some system. So it could be like you and your friends agree that if any one of you gets in a car accident, um, then all of you will share the costs, for example. So that's a typical example of a mutual. So, so the, those are just, um, resilience happens when we have systems in place that help us recover from um, volatility. So whether that is like internal resources, so resources that you have on your own, so like being physically healthy and resilient and being able to resist disease is one kind of resilience, but also being connected to a network of support um, is, a, is a different kind of resilience. And that, uh, that is pretty much the, the way um, why we build connections, why we build social relationships so that we are better able to navigate uh, a volatile world and manage and tame that volatility. And humans have been very good at managing and taming volatility. Um, so so this, is, this is like a very fundamental thing in our, like as part of human, the human condition to deal with volatility. Um, and insurance just happens to have evolved as a monetary way to recover from a specific set of volatile events or from the exposure that we, we happen to have. Um, so, so yeah, so we, we started off with this like very philosophical position of how do we make Web3 resilient? And what we saw is that Web3 is 99% capital market and only 1% of, of Web3 happens to have any kind of insurance cover. And what gives Web3 a bad reputation is risk. So people getting wallet drained or losing, you know, DeFi protocols getting hacked, depositors, funds being withdrawn, um, rug pulls happening. This is, uh, unfortunately, like like Web3 may be, you know, an ocean of good, but the what the media, the, the mainstream media portrays about Web3 are these little drops of, you know, all the bad stuff that has happened um, and people keep track of like Web3 is doing great. Um, there is a website called Web3 is doing great and they just track uh, hacks and scams over the last uh, 
I think like seven or eight years. Um, so, so we were looking for a way to to address risk and bring get rid of or transfer risk from one party to another using blockchain. And um, and and what we see is that there is this capacity, and there are plenty of whales in crypto who could absorb the risk of the rest of the market, provided that the modeling was done correctly. So the, 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 the models that actuaries use to price risk. And if this condition would be met, then you would have a kind of like a network effect of um, like network resilience, where one side of the market would say, I want to be protected if I have made a DeFi deposit into these protocols. And the other side of the market would say, um, I have the resources to protect you in case of emergency. So, so it's a question of like, how do you get the agreements right between these different sides of the market? And how do you use the technology that we have, uh, sp specifically the rules of, um, of token behavior, which can be embedded into a smart contract to create that agreement There doesn't have to be like it's not a, a free um, offloading of risk. There would be a transfer of value between parties. So um, the thing is, it's already in Web three. I mean, if you think about Ethereum, you have the proof of stake community that's actually um, supporting the rest of the ecosystem to maintain the integrity of transactions. So why can't we do the same, do a similar but different approach? So we have a community that is supporting the integrity of the system when the system um, experiences volatility in order to um, obtain some reward in the short term. So this community um, has capital, that capital is allocated if something should go wrong with a protocol, um, the people using the protocol pay the people with the capital for underwriting services. I mean, that's basically insurance. Um, we just need to figure out the right way to do it and the right way to manage risk um, at the scales that we're talking about. So uh, NFTs is a small problem, uh, which will teach us a lot. DeFi is a big problem, which... Um, we would like to solve because if we uncork the bottle that is DeFi, then you know we can see all kinds of financial change happening all over the world, which is something that our team would would be very happy to work on for the next uh, however many years. I mean, if we if we can make finance and banking more accessible through DeFi, um, it's a completely different worldview and five to ten years time um, okay i think next question or yeah yeah perfect um i wanted to i wanted to say that apart from being extremely comprehensive which is another thing that you don't often come across in terms of definitions i think your definition about really the crux of what insurance comes down to as this protection against volatility it really really drives the point home um but what I also loved is this idea of 
self-reliance versus reliance on capacity of a system. And as you were talking about network resilience, because I think with Web3, so many people see themselves as part of this network resilience, whether that is in a technical sense or it's in a more, you know, alternative view of what the economy should look like then, so society should look like, you know, the more, more philosophical tenets. Um, but generally speaking, there are topics that most people would steer away from. Uh, let's talk about regulation. Most people who are very bullish on Web3 would not see that as, you know, their favorite topic. And traditionally, insurance has not been one of those topics that kind of gets people excited to talk about. However, I think it's so interesting the way that you are using the technology that's available in order to solve many different issues, you know, including what you are saying about NFTs almost being like a stepping stone in terms of gathering these learnings and then applying them uh, to DeFi. So it's interesting to me if you look at the incorporation of certain technologies and how you kind of put them together, it does seem like the let's say the emergence of insurance in web3 might even mature the market the industry in a positive upwards uh, trend as opposed to you know something that is seen as oh it's just simply more uh, kind of top down regulation or because th there's two arguments to the to the coin because uh, i sometimes speak to people who don't want these kind of uh, you know uh, activities on on chain because now, again, it feels like too much of a top-down and, and move away from uh, the autonomous nature of, let's say, Bitcoin. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how having more approaches like this uh, really is positively contributing to the maturation of the industry. Okay, so I think, I think I'm going to answer this by telling a story. And there's a story... Uh, there's a there's a book called um i think the title's like how stuff works or it's written by a mathematician his name is jordan ellenberg and he talks about the statistics of uh fighter planes that used to come back after world war ii and and there would be sort of um you know bullet holes in certain parts of the plane and and so the question was like, where do you put the armor? So, so the first answer that comes to mind is like, you should put the armor where the bullet holes are. So, so they gave this problem to, to a mathematician or a statistician at the time, and he just said, actually, that's just dumb. You should put the, the armor where the bullet holes um, aren't, because those planes that didn't come back, they were shot um, in the places where the bullet holes aren't um of the and and the planes that came back well it didn't matter where they were shot so you don't need to put armor there because they still came back so so it's counterintuitive like um if you if you behave and say in a way that says like web3 is fine we're still surviving because they're they're all of these bullet holes and we're okay then um you're not looking at all the people that left Web3 because they started off and lost an NFT because of a wallet train. Because those people aren't reporting their statistics. They're not in the ecosystem. They've already dismissed Web3 as a as a some, something that they don't feel safe and comfortable using. 
And once they've left, it's very hard to get them back. But if you say to those people, okay, we, we recognize that Web3 is challenging to get into. Um, it's risky because it's not always clear whether somebody is a good actor or a bad actor. And um, what we can offer you is a way to hedge your risk that has been tried and tested and evolved from within the ecosystem to solve the ecosystem's own problems, um, then that's a much more compelling argument to a normal user to stick around in Web3. So uh, this is like part of why insurance is really an important stepping stone to Web3 becoming mature. And it's, a, it's an important stepping stone to having people trusted at scale um, as well as like just using it for things like Web3 gaming. I mean, the, the Web2 approaches, we have, we have information stored in a database. If you can show that you are hacked, we can just undo the thing that happened in the database. Um, in Web3, you can't undo the thing that happened in the database. But for example, like one of our partners has built a solution where if you put a condition on your NFT that says, do not transfer this NFT out of my wallet, and something initiates a transfer of the NFT, what they will try to do is front-run the transaction that's initiating the transfer, put your NFT in a smart contract, and then send it into your backup wallet um, before the malicious transaction can act. Now, they're successful like 99.5% of the time in um, their testing environment using this approach. Um, so the question is, like, what happens in the last like 0.05% when the malicious transaction occurs? So that's when Plural would step in and add an insurance layer. And so you've now protected the user 99.5% of the time from losing their asset. And if something should happen, you're able to um, transfer the risk of the loss onto a third-party underwriting or onto a network of support that absorbs the risk a lot easier than an individual would absorb the risk. So, so in this case, what we're doing is we're saying, like, if you if you're going to build like these complex systems, you also need like breaks and buffers, because those breaks and buffers stop the system from like completely crashing and then having to restart itself. So, so on a, on a small scale, this problem happens to be. I lost my NFT and nobody's going to replace it. So I'm no longer in the community that I was participating in and I have to get another NFT in order to rejoin that community. And on a big scale, it is, uh, we're a DeFi protocol. We took a bunch of money from people. Um, somebody hacked our smart contract and initiated a wallet train. We can't give that money back. Those people then can't uh, like recover their funds. Um, they've had a bad experience in Web3, and then that's it. They're lost as a customer forever. Um, and they, they go back to saying, well, conventional banking is great. I don't know anything that happens, but at least I can trust the regulator to sort out my problems. So, so our perspective is really that we need to build almost like, you can call it an immune system, uh, but it's also an immune system plus reserve resources where those reserve resources become available in order 
to counterbalance volatility and to stabilize the system when you know there's extreme extremes happening and and what you're you're basically saying is we put aside some of our resources in order to address risk when the risk occurs um yeah so at least that, that's my answer i mean you can tell that at some point i used to to teach math to first year students and i've had to explain things very carefully uh to them not using complex language so no oh, absolutely loving it i think there are some students who might be able to use this episode on education on insurance and web3 so thank you so much and so i have a question um obviously in terms of risk i mean as you've highlighted risk is one of well the biggest risk factors in the sense that we might get an initial adoption by people entering the industry but as soon as they have these bad experiences and unfortunately it's so easy to have a bad experience especially if you are not as clued up about all the different scams out there and you know cd platforms and cd characters luring you into cd platforms and we know that it's really really a mess if you are someone coming in off the street so to speak um so there's so much loss happening there with these bad experiences but then of course the other side of the coin is the fact that risk is also due to the volatility of the market now i mean it's a no brainer why it's not nearly as easy to insure against market volatility um I want to kind of throw something into the bush and here have your thoughts on this. Do you think that there is a future in store for Web3 where there could be more of a insurance against these highly volatile market factors or do you think it's something that I mean because this this ties more closely to the whole concept of regulation. Um of course is a different conversation altogether, but I'm wondering in terms of the you know the economics of web3 or the technological capabilities if you think there might be a future where insurance companies are more easily able to consider he uh, hedging against great market volatility um so so in the traditional world insurance companies don't hedge against market volatility insurance companies are like highly risk averse and what they do is they they sit on on sort of capital that's been generated over 200 years so for example, Aviva, uh, which is one of the, the sort of uh, investors into plural indirectly through Farmers Factory, has $450 billion of assets, but they're a 200-year-old company. So, so they've been selling insurance for a long time and being very risk-averse. Uh, in the traditional sense, the companies that are supposed to, to sort of help against market risk are hedge funds, and hedge funds are a completely different ballgame. Um, their sort of Alameda research would have been the equivalent of a hedge fund in crypto. And the, the way to hedge against market risk is you, you take up like two positions in the market. So you, you take up an option to sell and you buy an asset. And so if the price changes, um, you, you would then uh, be able to get an easy exit. So that's not something that insurance is actually designed to do. Um, what we can do with insurance is something like uh, you participate in a protocol and that protocol pays you a yield. If you give up some percentage of that yield uh, in the event that the protocol fails, then um, we will 
help you to recover some percentage of your deposits. So, so there the insurance would be um, the insurer looks at all protocols and offers this product across some spectrum of protocols so that if one of them fails, the, the insurer is still able to uh, absorb the losses. Or, so so that's, that's really the difference. Like, so we, there's nothing that an insurer would, would legitimately do uh, to, to help um, hedge against market risk. That's a completely different business. Um, that said, I think like we need to figure out what what new financial instruments could be could be developed, um, and 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 uh, there's also sort of um, aggregating risk into portfolios and things like that, which which we've seen. You know, so so you don't buy um, individual cryptos; you buy an average of the top 100 of cryptos kept in some proportion. And stock markets have been a good experience on how to do this. Uh, it just happens that that crypto is a kind of uh, a much more volatile stock market with less backing it, and a lot more, um, you know, uh, yeah, like like this the scale of things is completely different, and there aren't those those buffers, and uh, there isn't a, an understanding of of how things. Uh, you know, like there isn't a, a regulator monitoring the entire crypto market. Uh, it is a retail market, and and part of that is is volatility. Um, so, no, this is not something that I would I would bet my insurance company on uh, as a problem that we could solve. We're trying to solve uh, sort of the the problems that arise from bad actors. Um, <clears throat> so. I think I think I'm going to leave that one alone. No, no, perfect. That was the amazing answer. So on to what it is that you are focusing on. So I am the average user. I come to know about what you guys are plural. Run me through, because I know obviously you have expansions uh, that are far wider than just what you are doing right now. But at the moment, run me through what would happen if I were to sign up initial stage of what Pearl is focusing on and how would that work uh, by step? Um, so for the initial stage, we're really just zoning on, on, on NFTs. Um, the idea is that the, the NFT market is reasonably big. Um, we can test out the infrastructure that we're using and what we would offer a holder is um, if, if your NFT is moved from your wallet, without you intending to move it. So you clicked on the link, uh, you authorized a transaction that you you thought was was friendly, but it turned out to be malicious, then we will uh, provide an insurance facility that covers the loss, so or some percentage of the loss, depending on how you set your policy up. Um, but what that insurance product will also do is it will integrate into a service provider that will help um, front run any malicious transactions. So that service provider works with an AI um, company. That AI company scans contracts on the blockchain. And if it sees that a malicious contract is now trying to move an NFT, um, that process will kick in. So, so that would be like our package product that we would offer. Um, and then we're looking at like, Okay, well, the, the, currently the value of NFTs is social. 
So, so it's a perceived value of, of a thing because everybody says this is what the thing is worth. Now, if, you, if you've obtained an NFT from somebody because you know, it was a phishing link and you wallet train them, we need to make it difficult for you to sell that on the secondary market. So the other, the other feature we're looking to integrate is to create a kind of trusted blacklist that can broadcast that um, we've just paid out a policy for this NFT, which we have verified um, was taken through a wallet drain. So this blacklist then broadcasts to, to different market actors not to buy the NFT that was obtained illegitimately. So, so that's, that's, for example, a pure Web3 social engineering setup that relies on people coordinating with respect to value. So, i.e. don't fence stolen digital assets. Um, so that, that would be our starting point. And if we're correct, then um, we should be able to do a few things. We should be able to build um, a capital reserve. So out of um, insurance makers on the one side of the market that would provide insurance cover to NFT holders and then uh, a collection of policyholders that would pay some premium every month and some of that premium would be transferred as yield to the capital providers um, using, of course, like smart contract mechanisms where we as the insurance company, in inverted commas, are not able to access capital unless um, the system says there is a valid claim and this because of this valid claim we have to reserve this amount of capital in order to pay the claim so so like 99 percent of that will be automated um obviously like we have to protect protect the system from um too many false claims so there will be some some mechanism that has to be put in place and and then in the same way um we we have to learn as we go and how to set this up correctly in terms of decision making. So, so what our research tells us is that if you think about um, approving an insurance claim, uh, actually it's a consensus mechanism that happens internally within your insurer. So, so now how do we take that consensus mechanism and recreate it so that we can get consensus on whether a claim is valid or not valid? Um, and and so if you take Nexus Mutual and voting. Voting is a consensus mechanism on whether something happened or whether a claim should be paid. We just need to, um, part of our, our journey and our research was to figure out methods for, for creating this on-chain. Um, so using things like staking, for example, uh, as a way to do insurance. Um, so, so it's like step-by-step. Step. We're looking at how do we how do we service you know the the communities of traders that have high high turnover NFT portfolios? Um, how do we service the community of art collectors that buy NFTs in order to keep them? How do we service um, you know blue chip NFT holders and who are looking for value or flipping NFTs quite regularly? Um, those are our customers. Um, for this kind of cover, and if we if we're successful in, for example, NFT insurance, we can look at more general products like 
coverage against arbitrary wallet trains. So if you have NFTs and tokens in your wallet um, and all the preventative measures fail, uh, will we will we make good on the contents of your wallet uh, as an insurer if you are a policyholder? So this is that would be like step, I guess the step after NFTs, and then um, further down the line, like like it is going to be an intensive uh, modeling and research journey where we need to get into like the guts of DeFi to understand how protocols interrelate with each other and and sort of how effects within one protocol will translate into effects in others because you know if you go into that direction with insurance the the risk for you is that you um you as the insurer like are insuring uh correlated behavior so if one protocol collapses will it cause all the other protocols to collapse in which case um you know you are going to wipe out your underwriters so so like the goal of insurance is always to protect um it, it seems like it's to protect the insurer but actually the goal of the of insurance should be to protect both the the policyholder and the underwriter concurrently um without taking sides and that's that's kind of hard balance to strike so so starting with nfts is, is like the ideal entry point and it's consumer facing. Uh, we do have to have conversations with regulators to make sure that our product is compliant, or that regulators at least are happy to put us into a, a sandbox for a couple of years, so that we can, you know, fully document and, and show that actually there are new and interesting ways of doing insurance on blockchain, and um, this this is a valid way of doing insurance, particularly for digital assets. Okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of exciting uh, pit stops on the roadmap up ahead. Um, I also completely agree with the staggered approach because I think so many amazing ideas are birthed in Web3, but it's not able to come to fruition uh, in the timelines that, that projects uh, sometimes promise. And often that's simply because the you know the time is not there yet. Uh, it's too early, and it's you know building it step by step uh, is really the way to get there. But I'm curious because uh, we've been touching on how these technologies uh, are facilitating growth and uh, you know a managed degree of risk of the Web three industry. But I'm also curious in terms of the traditional insurance industry. What future do you see for? blockchain technology, for smart contracts, for DAOs, uh, I do think that there is a future where this will become the standard, even with the traditional uh, insurance industry? Or do you think it's something that kind of will stay within Web3 and as more insurance companies uh, take on also Web3 within the portfolio, then so so which direction do you see the the growth and the adoption uh, flowing in? Um, there's a couple of different directions in terms of insurance and Web3. So uh, one way to look at Web3 is that Web3 is a big capital market and insurers are capital hungry. So a big part of insurance, a traditional insurance, is the cost of capital. And if, if Web3 capital can be cheaper than you know banking capital, then insurers will use it for underwriting. Um, so you, there are a couple of companies doing this. Um, it's mainly people building liquidity pools and then 
selling capacity from that liquidity pool to, say, a travel insurer or some sort of insurance brokerage. So that's one part of it. Um, the other part of it is really quite subtle. So insurers hold uh, lots of data on their policyholders because in order to build good risk models, you need good data. So, so if you're selling car insurance, you want to sell car insurance to um, you know, 90-year-old grannies who never drive because that's a really good bet on ever having to pay out insurance. I, I mean, it's being cynical, but this is what, what the, this is the way that this is the ideal customer for an insurance company. Um, whereas, you know, a 20-year-old who just got a Porsche is, is not a, an ideal customer for you. So, so you're going to charge um, relatively more to people that are more of a risk to your business and relatively less to people that are less of a risk to your business. So it's all about risk management. Uh, and a good example of that is Discovery in South Africa, where um, through their loyalty program, they're able to collect like lifestyle data and use that lifestyle data to inform the pricing of their health insurance products. So, so it's, it's, it's a data game when it comes to insurance. And what Web3 is very good at is building um, siloed data vaults and using that siloed data um, and leaving that siloed data in the custody of the data creator. So, um, so for example, uh, Ocean Protocol has been around for a long time. Um, you can upload a data set, put it into a, a closed environment and somebody can run an algorithm on that data without taking the data off-site or even looking at it. What they would get is the result of the algorithm. So, so from an insurer's perspective, um, you could see insurance in the future where uh, you as a user still own your data. The data is put into a data vault and an, an algorithm is run on the data without compromising um, the privacy of that data. So... I think that's a really interesting angle and use case from uh, Web3 to Web2, which has nothing to do with finance. It's purely a, a combination of like uh, you as an insurer can build a better risk model with more accurate data. Um, the user, like from a, from a consumer perspective, I'm a lot more comfortable with sharing my data through a data vault than somebody um, harvesting the data from me and keeping it forever and not getting any value out of it. So, so there are some, some experiments we're looking at um, where we're partnering with, with people in, in sort of the energy sector to look at, well, energy utility providers don't like to share data. Um, they especially don't like to share data with their competitors or with uh, financial services. Uh, and so financial services tend to be, like insurance, tend to price um, on the average price for insurance coverage and the coverage doesn't kick in um, at the tail. So like you don't get coverage if your solar panel farm goes down for 30 days or if it's down for more than a year. Um, but if we would get better data on these sectors, then uh, we could provide Web3 to Web2 insurance, uh, which is data-enhanced um, and we could provide insurance coverage on the tail. So, 
Um, so this means that that essentially we're not talking about um, taking over an existing market. We're talking about expanding the reach of the market and going into those pricing areas where the the Web two traditional market wants to stay out of, um, and and sort of solar energy is a big sector. It's it's not tiny. Um, there's a lot of like capital invested in there, and you have problems that are that are sort of very practical. You know, an inverter can blow. Um, it it wipes out and stops an entire utility from from functioning, and the company that built the inverter may have gone out of business. In which case, you know, it could take a year to source a replacement inverter, and then you know you have a year of uh, not of losing functionality and an insurance policy that won't pay out, um, and you as the as the sort of the owner of this asset is you know you're sitting with a dead asset for a year. So, so insurers can do a lot with more information, and we can also like create um, a lot more functionality in in the market. So it's a question of like being able to bring, you know, dead space online as opposed to you know just staying there waiting for somebody to solve the problem. Like an insurer could solve the problem a lot quicker uh, because they have a vested interest in you know, that inverter being fixed because they're, they're also paying and they have data which they can use to coordinate. So so these are like edge cases that we're looking at in traditional insurance uh, apart from the Web3 angle. Um, and and you can think, so, and, and we're doing it because uh, it allows us to, if we, if we hit a regulatory wall, um, we can branch off into other business avenues and still use the technology that we have in web3 in order to to showcase that you know there are better ways to do these things um and and there's more range and there's lots of versatility that comes from um people cooperating in a safe way Arishan, i'm mindful of because I see we have only five minutes left. So I want to try and get in two questions. And if it's possible, uh, one question from the audience. So a reminder, if you have a question, please DM it okay. through the Adlunum uh, Twitter handle. So I'm going to try and get through both questions. The first one that came to mind for me is, I mean, we talk so much about mass adoption, but on the other hand, we are so aware of the risks and the losses. Do you think that insurance in Web3 becoming a common practice and becoming available to people uh, will lead to more mass adoption? Um, I think Web3 gaming is interesting. Uh, and I think being a part of like Web3 gaming and providing insurance on, on in-game assets could be something. Um, uh, in terms of like conventional, so, so would my, my 70-year-old mom um, go into Web3? Maybe not. But if a Web3 insurance provider was providing the back-end systems for her healthcare plan, um, that's also a form of mass adoption. So, yeah, I think, I think it may be just like the degree of subtlety of the technology integrating into existing businesses, um, you know, could be one part. And then there's the direct, okay, there's a new asset class 
and we happen to see a lot of expansion of you know fractionalized real estate nfts or whatever the use cases are um so i think that that would be the, the answer i would give absolutely i 100 agree with you so final question uh the plural uh i mean to me it suggests a focus on inclusivity on community and of course a lot of that is exactly the tenants that we have in web3 as well and yeah happy fourth of july as you said at the beginning uh i mean this idea of independence also come to it so would love to hear how how does the same time tie into what you believe what you say as the dna of the company So we we kind of are building around uh, three three things: creativity, resilience, and community. Um, independence is part of it. I think I think showing that Web three can solve its problems from the inside uh, will be a, quite a statement. Um, so so yeah. So so I would I'd say that's a big part of our DNA. Um, I mean the the people that I get to work with are really like. They, they've done lots. Um, one one of them helped launch a payments app, um, and uh, like a consulting, like a, a developer consulting source sourcing company. Uh, one of them was a, a board chair at Aviva. Um, one of them is a is a medical doctor who who led the negotiations for the British Junior Doctors Association. So so I just have like these awesome independent competent people um, that I happen to work with um, and I think it's it's not just in the DNA of the company because we said it's in our DNA and how we how we did stuff I mean my, my CTO um, he was they were they built an app called Mixit which was an early chat app that had 60 million users and ran on feature phones um, like a couple of years before WhatsApp was even a thing so, so I think it, it's, it's in our nature to want to solve difficult problems and to find find solutions to them and find ways to to give them substance and bring them to to the market. Um, yeah, I just want to say uh, I use I'm from South Africa as well, so I use Mixit when I was still in high school. So it brings back fond memories. Um, and I met Virushan and some of the members of his team when I was recently in Cape Town. And yeah, they really are incredibly uh, intelligent and head screwed on right builders in the industry. So very, very fortunate to, uh, and lucky to have you guys today and really just learn more about what these possibilities are within three. And then also this fascinating concept of Web3 supporting Web2. So I see we've run out of time, but I really just very quickly just want to get in one audience question. Uh, so what are some of the legal considerations around NFTs? So version, uh, in terms of the insurance angle, maybe um, if, you know, there's no legal claim on NFT as an owner, as, as being an ownership uh, item for you in a certain country, I'm not exactly sure what the question means, uh, but if you can just give some thoughts on this topic before we close. Um, so... So I can only answer from an insurance perspective, I guess. So, so we would we would say that an NFT is an asset, um, or it might maybe the representation of an asset. So, if you fractionalize uh, a piece of real estate and you embed a fraction of that real estate in the, in an NFT, then you know the NFT is a claim on the real world asset. 
Um, in in some cases, an NFT might be a claim on a data set, which is which is a different kind of digital asset from you know a PFP NFT. So so I think I think there there are a lot of interesting legal definitions, um, but essentially, you know you you have a, a construct which has a unique identifier and then that identifier um, constitutes a claim on something. Um, in terms of like regulated insurance for NFTs, um, essentially like if people, if people are willing to ascribe value to something and, uh, and there is a market price for it, then we can ascribe insurance to that thing on the basis of that market price uh, as being the going value. So, so we have a, we have a partner called Naboo. Um, I think their their Naboo.xyz and their their entire business model is just about finding accurate prices for NFTs and providing that data to different companies, including uh, Plural. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, awesome, Virishan. Thank you so much. Uh, if the audience wants to stay in touch with you and with Plural, uh, where is the best place to follow you guys? Um, so you can follow the Plural account on Twitter. And then if you want to join our Discord, uh, our Discord is currently uh, gated, but the, the password to get into our Discord is uh, very simple. It's Pluralfy uh, and then everything else lowercase. So you're welcome to join our Discord. Um, we have a couple of um, community building things that we're working on, including uh, NFT mints um, and, and just some other really original, uh, cool stuff. So thanks very much for having me. Um, it's been, been interesting to, to like get, uh, I guess, interviewed and uh, an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I, I definitely think that this episode could be a point of reference for people uh, wanting to learn more about how the insurance industry works, and especially uh, in the context of Web3. So thank you so much for sharing all of these insights and really just so many nuggets with us that I think as people want to get into more of these topics, then definitely do follow uh, Plural on Twitter and uh, Virishan as well. Uh, as for the audience, Guys, if you missed out on it, so we had our second uh, Web3 Pitch Arena last week. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, some of, you know, really just incredible boys in the industry uh, showcasing to investors what they've done. So you can find this on Twitter. Uh, no, sorry, we are right now on Twitter. You can find this on YouTube. And join us again next week on Twitter. Uh, and if you're listening after the fact on Spotify, Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you guys next week for another episode of The Future of NFTs brought to you by Adlunum. Cheers, guys. Virishan, have an amazing day. Over. Are you in Cape at the moment? Uh, I'm actually in Durban at the moment. Um, it's oh, the... my goodness. Okay. So I'm, I'm very, very jealous because I haven't been to Durban in quite a while. So, yeah, send all my love to Durban. I can't wait to, to, to see and experience it again. On, in the meantime, you'll have to do it on my behalf. Okay. We'll do. It's the Belito Pro at the moment. Lots of surfing. Happening. Enjoy. Enjoy. Cheers, guys. Have a wonderful okay, day. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks.
You've been listening to the future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with AdLunum on Twitter at AdLunum Inc. or our website, adlunum.cc.